to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to remain standing and I want you to open the Gospel of John chapter 6. I'm going to read for one verse, one verse, so it's not going to take me long. It's just one verse that Jesus said, and I'll come back to it, but it's really a launching pad for an entire theme, a message that I've entitled, Grace That Goes Before, Grace That Goes Before You, and it's John chapter 6, verse 44, here's what Jesus said, and these words are so powerful, and they're so rich, and everybody ought to pay attention to them. No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I want to read it one more time. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can be seated. Thank you so much for worshiping like you did and praising like you did. There's liberty in this house, isn't there? Come on, I said there's liberty in this house, isn't there? Hallelujah. If you want to clap, you can clap. If you want to say amen, everybody shout amen. Amen, shout glory. Everybody say hallelujah. Everybody say, come on, preacher. Come on, you can do that if you want to. There's liberty in this house. I've prayed for liberty in this house. I've always prayed. The worst thing in the world is to come to church and feel God and be all bound up. Look at somebody and say, there's freedom in this house. There's freedom in this house. And I appreciate the way you take advantage of your freedom and worship the Lord And I appreciate your reverence to the Word of God. I want to preach today about grace that goes before. I want to start this message by telling you something that is so wonderful, so powerful. And you might want to say amen. I know when I read the Bible, I I realize something that's so wonderful. And it's part of the reason I preach the way I do. I preach the gospel. God wants everybody to be saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God wants everybody to be saved. That's his heartbeat. That's the cry of God. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, God said, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the pleasure that I have is when the wicked turn from his way and live. That's the desire of God. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter wrote, said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. And he said, what promise? The promise of judgment on the wicked. He's going to happen one day. One of these days, God's going to pass judgment on every wicked person. But the Bible went on to say, but his long suffering toward us. He patiently puts up with us. He patiently puts up with sinners. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. That's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Did you get that? And to come to the knowledge of the truth, obviously, in Christ Jesus. Acts 17, 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere To repent, it's the heartbeat of God. We know that God wants to save everybody. We know that that's the desire of God because he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross in our place, to take the punishment for our sins upon himself. The cross speaks of the heartbeat of God to save everybody. We know that. I love to quote John 3.16. I hope nobody ever gets tired of John 3.16. For God so loved this world. He loved everybody. That he sent, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world, verse 17 says, to condemn the world. If you're in sin, you're already under condemnation. 
We don't need more of that. He said he didn't send in into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's the heartbeat of God. It's a vi- the cross is a visual reminder of God's longing to save every sinner from their sin. And yet, the hard truth is, as much as God wants to save us, we can't save ourselves. We can't even get to God in order for him to save us. Because of this thing called sin. Sin gets in the way. People don't gravitate to God. Our natures aren't built that way. Even the Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. The lost sinner does not seek after God. Now, some people erroneously think that they can seek and they can find God. These are the people that are sinful, but they get involved in religion and religious activity. I mean, do you know there are lots of sinful people right now that are attending a church and even go to a church and somehow even got on the membership rolls? As a matter of fact, some of them are even in leadership in the church. Let's hope it's not one of their pastors. But there are people who are in sin, but they're in church. We had a man, I preached his funeral not too long ago, that for years was a sinner and went to a Baptist church and they made him chairman of the deacon board. He said, I wasn't even saved. And so people get in religious activity and they use religious activity to try to make them feel like they're making their way to God. Some people do meditation Some people like to do good works, and they think when they do the good works, that's helping them to seek God and find God and get to God and and, and be close to God, and they give money to worthy causes. And when they do that, they feel like these are the actions that will draw me to the Lord. But reality, it's it's all a lie because your sinfulness makes it impossible for you to approach God. And there are two reasons for that. Number one, you're spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1, talking to believers said, and you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't seek anybody. Dead people don't make any actions. Dead people don't talk. Dead people don't go after things. They're dead, right? And so you're spiritually dead. Even though you're alive, your spirit is dead. That's why... If you, if you bring somebody into a Bible college who's sinful, put them in a class, it's really not going to affect them. You bring them to church service, they listen to preaching other than the gospel, it really doesn't affect them. They're bored, they're looking at their watch, they're looking at their phone and, and Instagram and Snapchat, Snapchat, and they're just looking at stuff and Facebook. They're not, there's nothing in them that, 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 that works with them because they're dead. And that's how it is with you. Dead people can't get to God. <clears throat> the Bible also says you're in darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 says, talking again to believers, he said, but you were once darkness. And it's not that you're in darkness, you are darkness. And in the Bible, darkness is always characterized by error and, and willful ignorance and willful disobedience and, and, uh, and, a, and a lack, total lack of spiritual perception. That's why you can take a man with a sixth grade education who's born again. And you could take a sinful guy with two earned PhDs and give them a Bible verse, and the PhD guy will scratch his head and say, I can't figure this out. I don't know what it means. And the dude with a sixth grade education says, I can tell you all about this. I understand this perfectly. Because he, he see, he's seen the light. See, he, he knows the truth. He's not in the dark anymore. But when you're in sin, you're in the dark, okay? And so 
Here's what I want to teach you. It takes, if, if there's spiritual death and spiritual darkness that characterizes your life, then you need spiritual divine resurrection and revelation. If God's going to save you. Resurrection and revelation. I'll come back to that. So in other words, you need divine help and initiative if you want to get right with God. And that brings me to what I'm preaching about today, which I have never preached before. It's called what theologians call prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. And the word prevenient tied with the word grace means this, grace that goes before you. Sort of to prepare the way. Grace that goes before you. And, and what it is, is it is grace that precedes any human action on your part in order for you to get saved. It's the work of God that counteracts the effects of sin and enables you. That's a key word. It enables you to hear the gospel and understand the gospel and to believe. And since we are sinners and we are dead and in darkness, salvation must begin with God. God has to take the initiative. This is why Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to him unless God the Father draws him. I looked up that word draw because that's what preachers do. We do word studies in the, in the field of hermeneutics, the science of hermeneutics. It's called a lexical syntactical analysis. Doesn't that make me sound so smart? It's just a word study. Put it in a nutshell, just doing a word study. All right, so I did a word study of the word draw. And when I read it, I thought, oh, I got this. I know what this is. There's a man, he's sitting in this room right now. He didn't know I was going to preach about him. I fished with this man more times than he and I can ever remember. We'll get out on his pontoon boat. He'll get me up in the middle, in the wee hours, the ungodly hours of the morning. Somehow talk me into getting up when I'm in my nice warm bed next to my, my nice warm wife. And I'll get in that truck with him, and that, we'll, go out, we'll go out on Lake Hartwell, and we'll anchor down, and we'll throw rods all over, and we're catching, trying to catch catfish and stripers. And he turns on these green lights on the side of his boat, and it attracts bait. Those bait, I mean, there are millions of bait. You can see him swimming, and he swims counterclockwise. I don't know why, but it's always counterclockwise. You can watch them going around and around and around. Anyway, and, and then at a certain point, we have a little system. That man will get a net out, a cast net, and he'll get up on the side of that boat. And on count of three, we'll cut the lights out. We do this little thing. And he will take that cast net, has a rope on it, and he'll throw it out over the side of the boat into that, into that mess of bait fish, those millions of bait fish. And, then and the weights go down, and then slowly and steadily, he'll pull, he'll draw that net, see. And when he does, he'll pull it up, and a lot of times there are dozens of bait in there. He'll drop them in the bait tank, and then we can start fishing. And that is exactly what Jesus was thinking about when he said, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them to you. <clears throat> You're swimming in the sea of sin. But God puts out a green glow that gets your attention called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit. And you start moving in that direction wondering, what is this all about? And when you get there, God begins to work on you and deal with you. 
and say, you need to get out of the water and you need to get in this boat. You need to get out of sin and you need to get saved. And he throws out a net. He throws out what you need. He gives out grace to you to enable you. And then slowly and steadily, God pulls you in the boat and catches you and brings you in so that you might be saved. That's cool, isn't it? God is the initiator of any relationship with him. You don't catch God, God catches you. You don't pursue God, God pursues you. Now there is a thing that I have preached through the years, and if you've been here 22 years under my my ministry, you've heard me say this, you'll hear me say it again, I'm going to preach it today, I knew it. When I put it, it's in my notes, I thought they've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again, okay? There are people, and I've met them, who have said, I will get saved when I'm good and ready. I don't want to get saved. I'm young. I'm not married. I'm a young adult. I'm sowing my wild oats. I go out with my friends on the weekend. We party. We get drunk. We get blasted. We do all kinds of stuff. I've got my boyfriend, my girlfriend. We're doing our thing. I don't want to get saved. I'll get saved when I'm ready. Maybe I'll get saved when I get married. Maybe I'll get saved. After they get married, they say, well, I'm not ready yet. I'll get saved when we have kids. Then they have kids and they say, well, I'm not going to get saved while I have kids. I don't feel like getting saved. I'm too much fun in life. I've got all these other things I'm doing at this stage of my life. Tell you what, when I get old and I get close to death, that's when I'll get right with God. You know, now, if you're a sinner, that sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? That sounds like a really good plan. Sounds like, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. Here's the problem. It doesn't work that way with God. This is what I'm teaching you today. This is my little statement that I've said for years. You don't get saved when you're good and ready. You get saved when God's good and ready. That's what I'm trying to teach you today is that God has to take the steps. And when God begins to deal with you and works on you, that is a critical moment in your life when you have to say, God, I have a decision to make. And then you have to decide what are you going to do. There are biblical examples of this. Adam and Eve are in right relationship with God, no sin, everything's good. The snake comes along, the devil, tempts Eve. She eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She gives to Adam, he stupidly eats. And then now they're in sin. The Bible does not say that when they sinned, they went running to God and said, Oh God, help us, we ate the fruit of the tree, please help us, we need help. It's not what it says, right? What did they do? They ran and they hid. Because that's what you do when you have sin in your life and then you interact with the Holy God. You run and hide. You run and you hide like God can't see you. He can see everything. So you run and you hide. And so God's walking through the garden. Adam! Oh, yo, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where they were? Yes, he did because he's God. He knows everything. Sometimes God asks questions not for his benefit but ours. He was saying to Adam, where are you, bud? I'm not talking about where you are geographically. Where are you spiritually? Because you aren't where you're supposed to be. You aren't where you need to be. And see, that's what God does. God starts calling out to us, and sometimes one of the first things he does is he has to get us to admit, I'm not where I should be. I'm a sinner. I'm away from God. You know, there's a guy in the Bible named Abraham. When I grew up in Sunday school, we used to sing, Father Abraham had many sons. How many of y'all sang that song? How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, I don't know that you were really, I don't know that that 
is a bad thing that you didn't do that. But we used to do Father Abraham, then you do both arms, and it was just a thing to get kids. Many sons, I, I am one of them. So let's just praise it. And the whole thing is we'd sing about Abraham. Abraham is a guy in the Bible. Abraham is a father of the faithful, father of faith. He's a big deal, and he's a great example to us in the New Testament of a guy who trusted God and believed God. But let me just teach you this. We kind of always think that Abraham served the Lord, or we think that Abraham was kind of neutral. When God found let me tell you what happened with Abraham. Abraham was a pagan idol worshiper in modern-day Iraq in a, in a town called Ur. How'd you like to live in Ur? Hey, where are you from, Ur? I live in Ur, South Carolina. He was from Ur of Chaldees, okay, a heathen, worshiping idols, didn't know God, but God showed up and picked him out, showed up and called him and said, leave those false gods. I am the true and the living God and follow me. And Abraham left all that and made a decision and followed God all the way to the promised land. And God did this wonderful work in his, in his life and he's the father of the faithful. Do you get the point? God is always the one doing the initiation. Let me give you a verse that will help you understand. Maybe you understand this verse better in the context of this message. It's Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man... That's Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus is saying, you're lost. Now, I've been lost before. When you're lost, you can't find your way out. When you're lost, you need somebody to come find you. I got lost in the woods. I won't preach that again, but I got lost with a guy deer hunting one time. We couldn't even hear road noise, y'all. That's how deep in the woods we were. It was December. I was cold. I left my jacket back in my four-wheeler. The sun was going down. I had a deer. I was imagining packs of coyotes coming and attacking us. And I said, you better call the National Guard or the game warden or somebody. Get some help out here now. And so I've been lost. You don't know your way out. Jesus said, I have come. Watch this. We are talking about Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. You know, some of you grew up in, in traditional church. You'd heard that a million times. Jesus saves. Right, we know Jesus saves. That's the wonderful news. But don't miss this. He also has to seek. He has to seek. He has to come looking for you. The Son of Man comes to seek and then to save that which was. He tells these great stories to illustrate this. He said there's, there's, there, there are these sheep in a sheepfold, and one of them wanders off. And, 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 the, and the sheep over here are all good. They represent righteous people. There's one sinful sheep. He rem he's one little sheep. You know, I heard this song that guy sing the other day. When I grew up in church, we used to sing this. One little lost lamb, Lord, here I am. How many of you ever heard that song? I've heard that song once. I heard it a million times. That was what we used to sing back then. Oh, I thank God for contemporary music. Everybody say amen. And they sang about one little lost sheep. And there was this little lost sheep that went off. And the shepherd, could the sheep find its way back to the sheepfold? No, that's the point of the story. The shepherd had to leave the other sheep and what? Go look for it and rescue it and bring it back. He tells this story about this woman who has these very precious, valuable coins, 10 coins, and one of them breaks off the chain of coins. They've evidently on a chain. She loses one, and it falls, and they have a dirt floor, and it gets covered by the dust. She can't find it. And does the coin, does the coin get up and start rolling around trying to find its way back to the other coins? I mean, if it's a cartoon coin, maybe, but not real coins. 
And so it just lays there in the dust. It can't help itself. Jesus says the woman grabs a broom and she starts sweeping. She's sweeping all over the floor. Dust is going everywhere. It's a big ball of dust in the house. She says, I got to find the coin. I got to find, can't, I got to find the coin. And she sweeps one time and she sees the glint of the metal and she reaches down and she finds it. See, the whole point is you don't get saved when you're good and ready. You get saved when God comes looking for you. That's provenient grace. So how does it work? I, I don't know that I fully understand the ways of God. I don't ever claim to do that. But if I've got it right, I spent a lot of time studying this. I'm dead in my sins and I'm, I'm in the dark. I can't see. I'm lost. But God sent Jesus to fix all that, to make a way where I'm enabled that I can see and understand and come alive enough that I can believe. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. And why does it take Jesus? Because Jesus is the antidote to our sin problem. Let me show you what I mean. You, you know, we talk about the gospel, right? The gospel, the good news that Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, three days later came out, went back to heaven, today he lives, and if you just put your faith in him, by grace you're saved through faith, right? Okay. That's the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. The power of God. Not that it's influential or impactful. It is the power of God to everyone who believes for salvation. So here's what I know. That when you can get Jesus in front of a sinner, Jesus alone and who he is and what he says and what he's done has the power to give that sinner grace to where they can come alive and the light shines enough for them and God gives them what they need so that they can believe. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm life. And then he said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. See, there it is. You got, you're not going to get to him unless, unless I'm drawing you. But I'm going to give you life. I'm going to enable you because I have re re resurrection power so that you're going to be able to believe. Jesus, Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So when God's word goes forth and he speaks it is spiritual, and it is full of vitality and life, spiritual life. And when, God, when Jesus speaks, and you, you speak what Jesus has said, and, the, and, and Jesus gets to, begins to work in a sinner's life, it, it breathes life into their dead souls, and they're able to see. I, I've been reading the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. I love the book of Isaiah. And I read recently where it said, men walking in darkness, and this is quoted in the New Testament. It's kind of like, like a, a New Testament scripture in the Old Testament. Men walking in darkness have seen a great light. Guess who that was? Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus. That when you're in the darkness and you can't see in sin, how do you see? What do you, how is it that you can begin to see and understand that I need to be saved? Jesus has to shine into your situation, shine into your heart. Men walking in darkness seen a great light. That's why John said that Jesus was the light of the world. 
And in John chapter 1, he said, he, is, he called him the word that became flesh. And he said, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't handle it. I mean, it's all right there in John chapter 1, first chapter. John 1, right there, just the first chapter. It's right there. Is God created people, and they fell in sin, but Jesus comes along as the light and the life with revelation power and resurrection power, and when he shines into the darkness where nobody else can, they can't find their way to God, but when God comes through the Son, he's the Son of God, he is God, he comes and he shines and he reaches out to them and he enables them to be able to see and understand and then be saved. Um, there is a story in Acts chapter 16 about a woman named Lydia, and Paul went to preach, and Lydia heard Paul preach, and she got saved. And here's what verse 14 says. Now, don't miss this. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. She didn't open her heart. The Lord opened her heart. God, God has to do it. God has to do something in you to enable you. And, and her heart was closed and shut up to the things of God and God and didn't want any of that coming in. But God began to work through the words of Paul as he preached the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me teach you something. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has titles like he is the spirit of truth and the spirit of adoption whereby we cry a father and he's the spirit of holiness and he, Jesus called him the finger of God because he makes things happen. But one of his titles is the spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace. It is the Holy Spirit who does all these works. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, who comes and He begins to work on you. It takes what is spoken and what's said by, by God's people and through the Word of God, He works on you so He can open your heart so that you can receive what you're hearing and understand and begin to believe. I think conviction is part of experiencing prevenient grace. Y'all know what conviction is, right? If you're saved, you know what conviction is. That conviction is that aha moment when you realize, whoa, I'm a sinner. I'm in sin. I'm not right with God. I'm going to hell. I, feel, I really feel guilty. I really feel bad about my life. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm embarrassed. Um, this is bad. Something's, this is not good. I'm, I, I, this is just something's got to change. This is not good. Okay? It is the Holy John 14, 6 says that, or 16, 8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. So it's the Holy Spirit who does conviction. He puts you on, a conviction on you. Something has to give and something has to change in your life. And you can't have provenient grace without conviction. I don't think you'd have conviction without provenient grace. I think they go together. But listen to me. If you ever fall under conviction for your sins, listen to me. Conviction is always a God moment. Think about that. Conviction is always a God moment. When you feel bad for your sins, you're deeply aware of how your sin is separating you from God and it's an issue with God and you're in trouble. You know, I preached about Isaiah here recently. He said, woe's me, for I'm undone. That was conviction. Peter preached, to Jesus, uh, preached Jesus in Acts 2 to a crowd of religious sinners on the day of Pentecost. Again, these were religious people who were sinful. And um, he preaches Jesus. 
He's talking about Jesus and the power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit was able to use it to work. I'm talking about there were thousands of people there. And the Bible says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? It means they were under conviction. The Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit put them under conviction for their sins. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's what happens when God convicts you and prevenient grace starts working. You realize who you are and where you're at and you realize I need help. Something's got to be done. I can't do it. What am I going to do? Now, there is a group of theologians called Calvinists. Yeah, they, they followed a guy named John Calvin who was part of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. You know, Martin Luther and John Calvin. These people were there during that time period. Very significant people. And uh, John Calvin had some certain thoughts, and his theology is called Reformed Theology from the Reformation. Now, we aren't Calvinists, so if you're wondering, I'm not a Calvinist. This church's doctrine is not Calvinistic, okay? We don't believe in Reformed theology in the way they do. So who does? Presbyterians. That's the first one that comes to my mind. Uh, most, most Presbyterians have Reformed theology, and they're Calvinists, Okay. And John Calvin and Calvinists believe that prevenient grace, that work of God, that is when he starts working on you because you're in sin, he starts working on you to convict you to save you. They believe it's irresistible. In other words, you can't do a thing. Once God starts convicting you, you're going to get saved because you're chosen to get saved and God in his sovereignty has determined who gets saved and who does it. So certain people get saved, certain people don't. God, God makes everybody, but he makes some people to go to heaven, he makes everybody else to go to hell. I don't buy it, especially when I go back to point one, that God wants everybody to be saved. Come to church, you're going to learn some things. So they think that you can't, once it happens, it's irresistible. You're going to have to get saved. We don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible shows that. I believe prevenient grace is resistible. And what I mean by that is that even though God is calling you and his spirit is convicting you, you can resist his efforts. You can refuse to believe and accept his offer of salvation. Okay? And by the way, this is why you should not shrug off the Holy Spirit conviction when it comes upon you. If he's convicting you right now or later, you're somewhere, you, can, you listen, I played golf with a, with a young man on a golf course one time. The whole front nine, we were playing golf. He was under conviction for his sins and needed to get saved. And I've told you the story. I led him to Jesus in the parking lot behind his car, putting his clubs away. He, I, we led, I led him in the sinner's prayer, and he gave his life to the Lord. His name was Jamie. But if you get under conviction, worst thing you can do is say, leave me alone, God. Just stop it. Leave me alone. Because he is reaching for you. You're having a God moment. You really want to tell him no? We're talking about your eternal soul. When prevenient grace is at work and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, you have to make a choice. Come on, musicians, wherever you are back there in that ethereal realm, come out. Come out. There are two men in the Bible, both of them became mighty men of God, but they have stories in the Bible that help depict this. 
and one of them is Peter. Now, we all know that Peter eventually became a follower of Jesus Christ and an apostle. But let me just show you Peter's initial reaction to the Lord and how things didn't go too good. Jesus is teaching. He's on a bank. All these, this large crowd comes, and there's so many of them, his voice can't carry. So Peter and his brother have a boating, fishing business, and they got their boats there. So Jesus gets in the boat, and he looks at Peter. He said, Peter, would you mind just casting out little waves? Let me use the natural amplification of the waves to preach to this crowd on the beach and the shore. And he said, sure. He takes him out, and Jesus preaches to the crowd. And Peter's sitting there the whole time, a captive audience in the boat, listening to everything Jesus says, preaching repentance and the gospel. The sermon ends, and he dismisses the crowd, and Jesus was, I, Jesus was like me. He loved the lake. Jesus loved to fish. Fishing is holy work. By the way, I named my boat Visitation. So if anybody ever says, where's the preacher? We can honestly say, he's out on visitation. That's right. I do that. That has nothing to do with Jesus. I just thought I'd throw that in there. So if you ever call the office looking for me and they say he's out on visitation, you don't know if I'm fishing or if I'm really out visiting people. Jesus says, let's go fishing. Peter and his crew fished all night. Couldn't get a thing. The fish weren't biting, is what we'd say, even though they threw cast nets. He said, Lord, we fished all night. Look at the bags under my eyes. They're not biting. They're not there. But Jesus is the rabbi. He's the superior. He's Lord to Peter. And Peter needs to accommodate him. So he said, Lord, he looked over to Andrew. He said, let's patronize the guy. I don't feel like it, but we got to patronize the guy. Yes, Lord, at your word, we'll go out. And they pushed out in the boat. And Jesus just grinning. The wind is blowing in his face. He's on the water. Oh, it's so cathartic. I love it. When I get on my bass boat, it's like hallelujah. Jesus and he's out there and he just is, and he says throw out the right side of the boat Lord we've already tried it we threw out the right we threw out the left we threw out the front we threw out the back There's the, just throw out the right side of the boat okay Lord at your word he throws that big cast net out and when they start pulling the biggest school of fish came swimming by at that exact moment and they got so many fish in their nets they could hardly get them in the boat it was about to swamp the boat they pull it in, they get it in the boat it's all they can do to get it in and Jesus is gritting from ear to ear I think he even helped pull in the fish he was he was having a blast they were catching fish, he's laughing Peter is astonished and here is Peter having this God moment and the Bible says that instead of high-fiving Jesus, come here, Jesus, high-five. Woo-hoo-hoo, yeah, baby, this is so cool. Jesus in the boat, catching fish. He didn't do any of that. He is so overwhelmed by this man who is more than a man that the Bible says when they got to the shore, he fell on his knees. I don't even know if he looked up, and here's what he said to this guy. Leave me alone. Get away from me now. That's what it says. Now, your Bible says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. I don't know if he said that. Maybe he said it like that. But if it was us today, leave me alone. Go away. I don't even want to be around you. You make me feel miserable. I'm not happy about catching fish. All I can sense is my sin. 
you are a holy, you've got to be God. If you're not God, you're a man of God. You're something, and all I can feel and sense are my sins and how rotten I am. You need to go away so I can feel better about myself. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Leave me alone, God. Oh, can't stand being around Christian people because they're goody two-shoes. Every time I get around them, I start feeling bad. I don't know why I get ill. And I talk like this. It's because they're light and you're dark. Because they're good and you're evil. And because God will use, God will work through righteous people to start pushing prevenient grace in your direction. Thankfully, later, even, even at that moment, not later, let me just tell the story. At that moment, the Lord didn't give up on him. And he said, Peter, look at me. Get up off your knees, boy. Now, he didn't say that. That's the King Chris version. That's the Southern version. Get off your knees, boy. Stand up. Listen to me. You are a sinner. But I can fix that. You spent your whole life catching fish. And we'll do some more fishing, but you're not going to spend your life fishing. Follow me, and I'll give you, I'll give you purpose, and I'll turn your whole life around. You'll do something that will last for eternity. How about we go fish for men? And all of a sudden, I think that was his saving moment. I think that was the moment where Peter realized who this man was and what he could do for him. And I think that was the moment for Peter when he said, this is the guy that can change my life. And the Bible says he forsook everything he had and he followed Jesus. And God gave him purpose. And I mean, everybody knows who the apostle Peter is. Meanwhile, the other end, you got this guy named Paul who was a really bad man. Religious again, very religious, okay? Very religious. But just because you're religious doesn't mean you're right. He's persecuting the church, killing people, putting them in prison. He's on the road to Damascus. Watch this. And a bright light. Spiritual darkness and death. Remember, a bright light shines from heaven. Boom, knocks Paul to the ground. He's on the ground, and God blinds him. So funny how people who are physically able to see are spiritually blind. But God took that kind of man and blinded him physically so he could see. And he hears his voice. His voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, I've been goading you. I've been poking you. You know what that was? That was provenient grace getting it? Are y'all getting this? Said, what does that mean, Pastor? They had this long stick with a, with a pointy end, and when you were driving the oxen to plow the field, if they get stubborn, you just goad them, stick them in the hind end, goad them, and they, ooh, they'd start plowing again. And Jesus had been goading, sticking Paul. Paul, Paul, you've kicked hard against the goat. Sometimes you goad them, they kick. Ox would kick. Don't poke me. That's what a sinner does. God, don't kick me. Leave me alone. God just keeps on goading you. That's provenient grace. He said, Saul, Saul, you keep kicking against the goads that I'm pushing you with, prodding you with. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. I'm the one that can change you and save you. You need me. You hate me. You're trying to kill my church, but I love you, and I need to change your life. And unlike Peter... Paul, it's an awesome, dramatic moment because this guy hates Jesus and hates the church and now he's meeting him face to face. Instead of running or hiding or saying, leave me alone. Instead, after asking, who are you? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the greatest thing you could ever do. 
is when the Lord deals with you is say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What the Lord wanted him to do was repent, ask for forgiveness, turn from his wicked ways, let God save him. And he said, get up, boy. See, there it is, that southern preaching again. Get up, boy. I'm going to leave you blinded because I don't want you seeing anything else. I want you just thinking for three days about what I've done to you. I've got, I've got big plans for you. You don't know it, but you're going to write half of the New Testament. You're going to go on missionary journeys and spread the gospel all over this world and establish churches everywhere. Eventually, you're going to give your life for me. How's that sound? And Paul said, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'd rather be working for you, Jesus, than against you. When you get saved, you got to make a choice. And when there's provenient grace and God is goading you and poking you and convicting you and working on you, you got to make a choice. You either tell him, leave me alone, or you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when he says that, you got to believe and receive. I want you to stand with me this morning. They're getting ready to sing a song about grace. But before they do, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. We had a really good response in the first service. I only think God gives me these messages because they're needed. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I have created some semblance of privacy for you, just you, me, and God. Those of you watching my live stream online, listen, you need to listen to this. This applies to you as well. If you are listening online or you're here in this building, you say, Pastor, you have been all up in my stuff today because I am away from God, I am a sinner, or I am backslidden. I used to serve the Lord, and I've gone back into sin. I mean, I'm full-blown. Like, if I died right now, I'd go to hell. Whatever I had before, I gave it up a long time ago. I'm back in hell. I'm back in sin, rather. But you have preached today, and I feel conviction, and I feel the pool of God, and I feel like God's working in me. Everything you preach about, it's happening in me, Pastor, in this service. What do I do? Well, you can either tell God to leave you alone, or you can say, God, what do you want me to do? And what you do is you start praying and ask God to forgive you. He's enabling you. He's giving you the ability right now to believe. And, he, and what you got to do is believe and trust the grace of God. By grace, you're saved through faith. And, and you just got to say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And I want to help you do that. But before I do, with every head bowed, nobody looking, okay? You don't have to do this, but I'm asking you to do this. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get saved. I need to get back right with the Lord. I want you to lift your hand quickly. Don't, don't. Thank you, young lady. Thank you. I see you, young man. You can put your hand down. I see you right there. Where else? In the back? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I see you back there. Who else? Come on, raise your hand where I can see you. Come on, there's several people. Yes, both of you. Yeah, you there. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, anybody else? Anybody? I love honesty. What I love about y'all, y'all are honest. That's good because God already knows. Okay? It's just you, me, and God. That's pretty good. Come on, I'm not going to linger. Either God's working on you or he's not. I don't tarry. Anybody? Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I've learned that this really works well. I want everybody in this church to help me do this thing called the sinner's prayer. We're all going to pray it. And those of you who raised your hand, if you want to get saved and God's working on you, you pray this prayer to Jesus. I'll give you the words, but you say it to Jesus and mean it from your heart. And the rest of us are going to pray it, so we're all doing it together. Yeah, all these people are already saved, but they're going to pray it for you. And the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
And so I believe, like just like the first service, God's going to save these people who raised their hand today. So come on, everybody. You ready? Here we go. Pray. Dear Jesus. Come on, everybody. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. You know it, and I know it, and I am so sorry for my sins. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed, and I don't want to be this way anymore. And I believe with all my heart that you died for me, Jesus, and that you rose again, and that you lived to save me. Please forgive me of my sins. Please take them all away. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I want to do what's right. I want to be right. I don't want to ever be in sin again. Right now, I declare that you are my Savior and you are my Lord. And I'm going to obey you and serve you. I repent of my sins. I'm not going back to the way I used to act. I'm going to do what's right by your help. Come on, now do this. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Come on, say it. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord. Come on, some tears might be flowing right now. You might be getting choked up. Say, thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve it, but thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every head up, every eye open. I don't know, but I just got to believe some people get saved. Somebody clap your hands and celebrate this morning because I just believe God saved some people this morning in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.